Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will keep burning holes on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. So thank you for uh, the gift of time away, um, and um, I heard you had a beautiful outdoor worship service. We'll have to do that again sometime, when I get to experience it. I want to also acknowledge that today is the 15th anniversary of September 11th, um, of the uh, bombing of the, not bombing, but the Twin Towers falling down and coming down, and I have written no reflections on that in my sermon. Um, and so I just want to begin today by saying that we remember that day, and uh, we remember the emotions that we held in that day 15 years ago, and we know that they have changed um, as, as time has gone by, and that we see things new, and that the situation is, is complex, and um, that perhaps this scripture passage is a wonderful way to, to look at that situation of uh, loving those Sight. 
that are occupied. So, in the spring of my seventh grade year, uh, I got this the most awesome birthday present ever. I got this small, very light shade of pink purse that was made out of denim. And you can see it now, right? It's about this size, and it had this thin spaghetti strap that fit over my shoulder, and a little zipper on top with a beautiful flap that pulled it down with some like decorative pattern. It was amazing. And uh, I, uh, besides the purse, to top it off, I also got this beautiful, very coordinating, of the color matching pink wallet that fit, fit nicely inside the purse. In that wallet, I had my school I my seventh grade picture school ID. I had um, some cash that I earned from a fifteen-hour babysitting job. Y'all, when I showed up to school the next day with that thin strap resting smartly on my shoulder, I knew that everyone around me was taking in the aura of my awesomeness. <laughs> they were overwhelmed by my fashion sense. I carried that purse to and from all of my classes, only letting it out of sight for the gym class that I had to take, where I neatly tucked it into my locker, my locker and headed out to volleyball or whatever activity the coach had planned for that day. 30 minutes later, I came back in to the locker room and discovered that my purse was missing. It was gone. Tears were in my eyes as I went to the gym teacher to tell her of the perilous situation that had come up. The bell rang, um, the classmates all left, and I was sat there, I sat there filling out an incident report about my missing purse. <laughs> my purse, my pride and joy was gone. And then life went on. I, uh, a couple of weeks went by and I slowly began to accept the fact that I would never see that beautiful pink pouch again. And then one day I was standing at my regular locker in the seventh grade hall and Shauna Drake Name change for confidentiality. <laughs> 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 Just a couple down. Now, you probably maybe can figure this out about me, but my locker, I was the sort of student that kept my locker immaculately organized. I had, you know, the notebook for period one and the textbook that went with it right there. And then the next notebook and the next textbook you can see so that I could just easily grab and go in between classes. My locker was a storage unit for my education. <laughs> Shauna was this sort of student um, whose locker was stunningly decorated. The latest issue of Bach would have been, is that what it was called? Bach? Bach? Letting everybody know who she was. But 
day, uh, as she was changing books between periods, something caught my eye. Out of the bottom shelf of the locker fell this beautiful light pink strap. And as she picked it up, it was kind of a denim material, by the way. <laughs> and as she picked it up and put it back in her locker, she looked at me in the eye. And she said, Brittany, have you found your lost purse? <laughs> I'm not sure I fully remember what happened in that moment, but <laughs> I made the connection between that denim-y looking beautiful pink strap possibly being my purse, and that she was looking at me while hiding it back in her locker. And I made some, some comments about hoping that one day it would come back to me. And then the bell rang, and I ran for the principal's office, because yes, I was that kid. And I told the principal what I had seen. And my eyes again were full of tears of joy and grief and anger and betrayal over the possibility that Shama Drake had taken my purse. Lo and behold, the janitor opened up the locker, and there was my beautiful purse with my school ID and my cash still sitting in. I was so angry. I had played softball, and Shauna Drake was on another team, and I could not wait for softball season to start in a couple weeks so that she played first base so that maybe, like, when I got a kid and I was running to first base, I could accidentally run into her and take some package. We've all been there. No difference. But my mom, who is a very faithful and wise person, reminded me that we have to have compassion for our enemies that we cannot always know why they are doing what they're doing, um, but that our response should always be one of kindness. She might as well have quoted the second part of the scripture passage that we read today, starting with verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, and never avenge yourselves. <coughs> And so I tried to have compassion for Shauna. I tried really hard. My 13-year-old self tried really hard. It was really, it was, it was difficult. And I think what I have learned over the years is that I alone cannot will myself to have compassion for other people. To bless other people, to rejoice with them in the communities, to live in harmony. It is all a partnership with God. Why? We place our faith in Jesus Christ. And we work really hard, we work really hard to cultivate the actions that are Christ-like, that look like we are following Jesus. And we trust that God will slowly shape us into who we desire and who God desires us to be. Y'all, if you hear nothing else besides the story of Sean and Drake, and what I just said, to know that you've heard the gospel today, that it is a partnership of working really hard and opening ourselves up to the relationship that is transforming through Jesus Christ to, to change us. Now this has implications. It has implications for how we live out in the world of people who don't claim to be Christian. 
and it has implications for how we behave within this Christian community, this body of Christ that is sitting here today. Paul, who's the author of this passage, is writing a letter to a community of people who have experienced persecution because of their faith. And so the second part of this passage, the part that I said my mom was referring to, that part is aimed at, it is, is describing how we should deal and live in a world, in a community that is intending us harm. And we're reminded that instead of seeking retaliation, we are to bless folks that intend us harm. We are to weep with folks who intend us harm. This is an incredibly hard path to do. We have to desire to do these things, and then we have to have the desire to ask Jesus to be the center of our lives, to love us into a way of being able to do those things. These, these behaviors that Paul is talking about are the fruit of a life transformed. A life that has professed Jesus as Savior and has put your whole trust in, in grace to shape and uh, Trust in his grace to shape and claim your life. This is what allows us to live in a world as people of compassion and care, even with our enemies, even with Sean and Now, we can engage a world of harm in this way, and the whole world is in full of harm, but we can engage a world that is, is difficult in this way because we have strength as part of the body of Christ. That's the first part of the scripture passage we read today. As people of faith, we have been open to and shaped and formed by Jesus and by this Christian community that is sitting here today. The body of Christ is what Paul calls it. We, all of us, you, and you, and you, and you, and me, we are all part of this messy and beautiful thing called the body of Christ. Now, if you guys brought your Bibles today, um, you can turn in. We read 9 through 21 of Romans, but the first part of chapter 12 of Romans, if you, did, if you don't own a Bible, we have some at the table, too. But the first part of Romans in chapter 12 is, is, there's some famous lines in there. If you have lived in the church, you've probably heard this before. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable in You've heard that before, right? Paul goes on to remind us that we who are many are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. This is a line he says in Romans, and he says it in other letters that he writes to it as a theme that he shares over and over again. And so these first five passages of our scripture today are describing how we can be one body in Christ, what that looks like. And he says that we have unity together as a church. Now notice that that unity, nowhere in these first five verses that we read, 9 through 16, that's actually seven verses, never mind. No, go 9 to 13, sorry. Notice nowhere in there does he say that unity comes from everybody looking alike. Nowhere in there does he say that unity comes when everybody believes the same thing. But there are a lot of churches out there that that's where we try to find unity, right? In believing, everybody believing the same thing. If you don't believe this, you're not part of the body of Christ. Or in everybody looking alike. But Paul never says that. 
he says unity comes from is in doing, is in building up the community and doing the hard work of love. Love is not something that just easily and naturally flows out of us as much as I would love to pretend that it does. It is something that we must work at. And so you see in the first two, in nine and ten, love is mentioned two times. Let love be genuine and love one another. Now, unfortunately, we have a disadvantage because in English, it's just love, right? Love this, love that. But if you look at the Greek, Paul is actually using two different words that we have translated into love. You've heard this, there's different kinds of love. There's agape love, which is the first, let love be genuine. This is the love that comes from God. It is a gift from God, it is grace. And then there's philia love, philia one another. Like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philia love is this brotherly, sisterly love. It's a familial love. And so while Paul uses these two different words, he uses them so closely together that we can only understand love as something that comes from God and goes out into this world. We cannot fully love someone but without the grace of God. And it is this love that we are given that compels us to do good rather than evil. It's the love that calls us to build up the community. And it is a love that is grounded in humility toward each other about our individual gifts and roles. So we love this because of our faith in Christ. Are you tracking with me? So this faith in Christ is what gives us purpose and direction in our lives. The faith does not happen overnight. It's a journey that begins when we're born, before we even know about it, and continues all the way through our death. We are always growing in faith in some ways. And sometimes the growth is like full of ups. It's like really awesome. We're like, ooh, I am growing so much. And sometimes it's full of downs that feel awful. And sometimes, maybe even worse, it's full of these like flat planes where it feels like nothing is shifting and changing and everything is mundane. But when we look at all of these stretches of our life, when we think we're stalled on our journey, when we think we're in a great place and a low place, we see looking back, little by little, most of us are deepening our relationship over time, right? Are you, am I the same 13-year-old person? No, thanks be to God. Are you the same 13-year-old person? I don't know, thanks be to God. Faith is sort of like that love that Paul is describing. It is at once a gift from God and also, it is a choice that we make in this world. Right? It is both. It is a gift that we receive and a choice that we make. So today, we get to witness someone who is at the very beginning, not the very beginning, but the beginning of our Christian journey. We get to witness Alice getting baptized. 
Baptism is about remembering that our identity in this world, we place our identity in so many things, our vocation, how people treat us, the amount of money we earn. And baptism is a reminder that our identity comes from God. That we are named and claimed as sons and daughters and that there is a parent who knows us intimately. It is a reminder that we have been chosen. Now, some of you might look, and, I, and maybe I'm changing your mind, I don't know, but you might think like, oh, so we're in this service series, we're ending today called Adulting Faith, right? Doing the grown-up stuff of faith. And you're like, oh, man, adulting faith, that's like, I mean, baptism, that's like the pinnacle of adulting faith. And I would say, yeah, it's a step. Getting baptized, it's, it's part of adulting our faith. It's a big step. But it's kind of like a wedding. Have y'all ever been to a wedding? <laughs> you know, like, that's a really important day. It's a big step in a relationship. And there's a lot of celebration, and people come to see it. And then there's what happens after the wedding, where you have to wake up next to the person and you're like, oh. <laughs> and now begins the work, the mundane work, the joys, the sorrows, the everything else in between. That's the adulting part of a relationship. And so today is this big celebratory event where Alex is saying yes to her identity as God's beloved. Alex is saying yes to choosing love. Alex is saying yes to this Christian community. Alex is saying yes to the journey that will lead her not without stumbling toward freedom, authenticity, and wholeness. That is something to celebrate. And tomorrow she's going to wake up and be like, wait, another step in adulting my faith. Today and the next day and the next. And so baptism is a celebration moment, and it's a time for you all to remember your baptism, to remember that day that God named and claimed you and chose you, to remember how you changed and adulted your faith since that point. And even if y'all, even if you were baptized when you were little and you don't remember it, you can still remember it. You know what I'm saying? And if you're not baptized, this is a day where you can think about what would that look like? What would it look like to open myself up to be named and claimed? To let God work in my life? Well, God's already working in your life, but to name him, I guess. If you haven't been baptized, come talk to Jarrell, to me. We love celebrations, so it would be great. I'd love to do this next week. So y'all, I have just shared with you uh, thoughts on baptism. I've shared with you thoughts about this scripture passage, right? Like, what does it mean? Paul is talking in the scripture passage about the marks of Christian life. And I bet that most of you in this room today have said, like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm tracking with you, Brittany. You're not saying anything new. I've heard most of this stuff before. Carry on. 
I know all about baptism. I know all about adults in my faith. I know we're supposed to do spiritual disciplines. I get it, right? And because it's it's really easy to hear it up here in our head. And sometimes it's a lot harder to, to hear these words here in our hearts and our guts and to let those words take over. Knowing these things is different than living these things. Right? It's like taking a cold shower. Anybody take cold showers? Nope. Uh, do, do you take them for two minutes every day? Okay, so, no, no. So really, there's a lot of scientific research that, about the health benefits of cold showers. It leads to weight loss stimulation. It leads to increased circulation. It leads to stress reduction. It is a potential antidepressant. But it's cold. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so we can know all of these things. Wow, cold showers are good for me. And it's a whole other thing to actually get in the shower. Y'all, I tried it once this week. I tried it once this week. I took my shower all warm and steamy, and then I held my breath, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I turned off the hot water, and I stood there for a minute. If you can imagine me in that shower, but with clothes on. <laughs> And I stood there for a minute, and I was like, I can do this, I can do this. And then I stepped back, and I was just like, not arms. <laughs> and if I'm generous with myself, I was maybe in the cold shower for 20 seconds. If I'm generous. <laughs> it's hard to adults to do the things that are good for us, right? Even if we know it. I'm going to give you guys into the cold shower tomorrow. <laughs> Y'all, if I'm completely honest with you, some days I'd rather just think about how Jesus can change my life rather than actually do the hard work of allowing Jesus to change my life. Adulting faith is the difficult work of jumping into a cold shower even when we know it's going to be excruciating and painful. Adulting faith is the scary task of relinquishing control of our lives and placing it in the compassionate arms of a God who cares for us. Adulting faith is doing the hard work of self-inventory and change because we know that that's what we're called to do. Building faith is committing to a discipline, some sort of practice that will help you foster a relationship with God. Adulting faith is committing to a group of people that are prayerfully and humbly loving you and agitating you. Adulting faith is knowing that when we dig into Christian community, we can be, to quote the line from the fabulous musical Wicked, changed for good. Adulting faith is a long, 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 long obedience in the same direction. 
It is our call as the body of Christ to be lived out with all of our gifts that we have been given so that we can change with Jesus as help, with Christ's help in our life so that we can change ourselves, so that we can change this community, so that we can change this city, so that we can change this 